we are, we are picking up week five of our series, One Another. One Another. Uh, this is a series where we are examining eight passages in the New Testament that use that language, One Another. That word that, that is translated One Another is found uh, around a hundred times in the New Testament. And a lot of those things, a lot of those times, those occurrences have to do with the church. And so we are looking at uh, not what we're supposed to do as a church, but who we are supposed to be as a church. And as I think about it, the biggest question that a church has to answer is, what does God want us to be? What does God want us to be? The reality is, when God saves us, He saves us into a community of faith called the church. We're not saved that we can drift along through life on our own, but He saves us into the church. And so that means, by implication, church is not optional for the believer, but it is essential. In other words, we can't just say, well, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and I'm not associated with a local church. I don't go to church. It's something that is, uh, that is essential for a Christian to grow. And not only that, it's essential for Christians to grow uh, and, and, and their attendance be regular in church. And I realize that there's a lot of times where we prioritize other things and there's so much going on in life, but church is the priority and our faith is the priority. And what we're going to see today is we cannot fulfill this command to bear one another's burdens, listen, if we're not present with each other. We can't bear one another's burdens. We can't fulfill the law of Christ if we're not present with each other. He says, uh, Paul in Galatians uh, is taking the gospel and he's explaining how Christians are supposed to live. In other words, the gospel is not just something that we believe. It's not just something that, you know, I walked an aisle and believed one time, but the gospel influences how we live our life. And he tells us exactly how it intersects our life. He says that we're to walk by the Spirit. But not just for Christians individually, but now in chapter 6 where we're looking at today, he's turning his attention to not just how we walk out the gospel as individuals, but how we walk out the gospel together. How we walk out the gospel together as a body. And what we're going to see is that Christ's church is a family. And we humbly bear each other's burdens. We're a family that humbly bears each other's burdens. Let's... Read now Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Brothers, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when... He is nothing. He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Father in heaven, as we look at your word, your instruction, I pray, Lord, that we would come with open minds to your word. That we would come not seeing ourselves as over it, picking and choosing what we want to believe and what we want to obey, but Lord, help us humbly sit under Your Word so that it would teach us and it would inform us. And Father, I pray that You would mold us into the church that You've called us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. 
So you saw there the one another passage is in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. We are united together. And because we're united together, it changes how we look at things. Because we're united together, it changes the way that we react to each other. In this passage, we see three ways that we live out the Gospel together. And the first one is that we should restore the fallen. Because of our unity together, it changes how we look at sin. It changes how we look at people when they fall to sin. Notice as he talks about restoring the fallen brother, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. That word there for caught uh, means that something is, is chasing someone else. That word means to be overtaken, to be seized. And it gives the image, church, of someone being overtaken by sin. It's not the picture of someone, a Christian, just falling into sin and, and falling into unrepentant sin and just refusing to repent, but it's the idea that sin is constantly pursuing us and that we have to be on guard against it. And he's saying, if a brother or a sister is captured by it, what does he say? Restoration should happen. In other words, because we're united together, that means that we bear each other's burdens. And what that looks like is when somebody falls, we don't just let them go their own way, but we pursue them. Because Christ first pursued us. Notice what he says. Who is the one going to be doing this restoring? He says, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. What is this? What does this mean? Is it some kind of super elite in the church? Does it mean the pastor? Does it mean the deacons? No, actually it doesn't. It's not a super elite group of they're the spiritual guys that they do all that stuff. The, the word literally means a person who is of the Spirit or a person who is characterized by the Spirit. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, if you look back in chapter 5, it starts to become pretty clear what he's talking about. He talks about walking by the Spirit. That we as Christians are people who walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And then he summarizes it. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, he says, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He gives us a picture of a Christian being spiritual as the default, not as some super elite class, but this is what we're to be by default, seeing the fruits of the Spirit come evident in our life. That means that we are to, as we walk by the Spirit, as we're not falling into sin, that could be any one of us then that restores a brother. Paul doesn't just intend for the leadership in the church to be the one pursuing, but he, he intends for everybody in the church to be spiritual and to be mature and to be in a position to pursue someone who has fallen. I love what one commentator says. Uh, he says that this refers to those who have more maturity and experience in the Christian life and who are therefore in a position to help their beleaguered brother or sister church, that should be every one of us. That should be every one of us who are striving to walk by the Spirit. 
How does he say that we're supposed to do this? Look at the next phrase. He says, in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. Now we really need to dig into that and see what, what does he mean by gentleness. That word gentleness could also mean humility. That word gentleness means to not be uh, overly impressed with your own self-importance. Often it's translated humility. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, restore your brother or sister, but make sure you do it in a spirit of humility. We're going to see that pop up so many times in this passage. Why does he say that? Why does he tell, tell us that we should do it in humility? And It's because restoration should be done realizing, y'all catch this, it should be done realizing that that could be me in that position. That that could be me. Restoration, pursuing a fallen brother or sister, is not done from a spirit of superiority. I am better than you. I've got this thing figured out. But it's done from a spirit of weakness. I know my own weakness, and I know that if it weren't for the grace of God, I would be doing that very same thing. He says, do it in a spirit of gentleness. I remember that... Uh, it's been several cases that have come up. There have been a lot of pastors that have been falling due to sexual misconduct. Some of them have been very publicized cases of a pastor having an affair and a marriage falling apart. And other cases have been just absolute uh, gross misconduct as, I mean, and affairs are horrible. Uh, but pastors, when they were younger, uh, taking advantage of of youth that's in their care. And I, I look at that and I just think, man, I, I, I'm disgusted and I'm angry. And I mean, this has been ongoing for really the whole past year. Just case after case coming out. And I, I just remember feeling so disgusted, so angry towards them. But you know, I was brought low because you know what I realized? The very same evil lurks in me as well. The lesson uh, in that is, I think, summarized by John Bradford. He was an English reformer back in the 1500s. He says, there but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. He's saying, hey, if it weren't for God's grace, that would be me. Church, that is the spirit of humility he's talking about. We don't gawk at people when they fall, but rather we humble ourselves and realize that that very well could be us. And that's why in the next phrase he says there, as we are doing this, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. His point is clear. We should be humble keeping watch over ourselves that we wouldn't fall to the very same thing. So my question for us is how do we see it when people fall? How do we see it when people fall? Do we see that as an opportunity to look down on them in our pride? Or do we see ourselves as just as weak as they are? And then from our weakness going and pursuing and reflecting Jesus in our pursuit. So one way that we live out the gospel together is we restore one another. We pursue one another. Look at the second thing he says though. He tells us that we should bear each other's burdens bear each other's burdens 
He says, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That, that word for bear means to, uh, to carry or to share. Some translations even translate it that way, to share burdens. But what are the burdens he's talking about here? Notice he doesn't, he doesn't define what that means. He doesn't say this is the specific kind of burden I'm talking about because Paul intends for us to realize that that's a wide category. Whatever we're going through, it can fit in that, that word burden. It's, it literally just describes something that weighs us down, something that's particularly oppressive in our life. And so for some of us, that may be sin. For some of us, we may be struggling in sin. For others, we may be struggling with health. We may be struggling in some situation. It does not matter what it is. He says we should bear each other's burdens. We should be burden bearers. We should shoulder the burden with one another. I love what one commentator, Ronald Fung, says. He says, when the burdens of life become simply unbearable for any member of the community, the others, if they are truly spiritual, will lighten his load by sharing his burdens and thus enabling him to stand. Church, that is what we do. We shoulder each other's burdens so that we can stand. And he says that while we're doing that, that that fulfills the law of Christ. And when I think about it, to bear somebody else's burdens, listen, that is the ultimate example of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer. Jesus is the one that shows us what it means to bear a burden. Listen, if you're a Christian in the room today, our biggest burden was our sin. And what did He do? He came and He bore that burden for us all the way to the cross. He bore the wrath of God in our place. And then not just that, not just forgiveness, but as we walk this life, He is walking with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He is helping us shoulder every burden that we have. And that's why in, in 1 Peter 5-7, it says, cast your anxieties on Him because what? He cares for you. Jesus is our ultimate burden bearer. And so it's no surprise that when Paul says, bear each other's burdens, he says, hey, this is going to fulfill the law of Christ. It's going to imitate Jesus to one another. He says that uh, this is a law. And you know, if, you're, if you've been with me through Galatians, uh, we've looked at it several times, you know that Galatians is all about how we've been freed from the law. That we're not bound by the Old Testament law. And that's why you know, we can eat bacon and things like that. Praise God. But now he's saying, but you're under the law of Christ. What does he mean? What does he mean? Listen, Christians, we may not be under the Old Testament law of Moses, but we still have to obey what Jesus taught. We still keep the spirit of the law. And Jesus told us what the spirit of the law is. He summarized it all for us. And it is love God with everything that you have, and love neighbor as yourself. He's saying in the community of faith in the church, there is no greater way. Y'all listen to this. There is no greater way that we fulfill loving neighbor as self than when we come alongside each other and bear burdens. That is it. That's the biggest way we fulfill it. We bear one another's burdens, and when we do that, that fulfills, that obeys the law of Christ. And once again, the temptation as we bear burdens 
and you can, you've probably seen this in your lifetime, as you help bear burdens, a lot of times pride slips in. A lot of times as we bear burdens, we start to think, well, man, that person really needs help. I'm glad that I'm not like that. Notice what he says, and once again, humility. He says uh, a warning against pride. He says, if anyone thinks he is something, verse 3, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. Why does he say that? Because he knows that as we bear burdens together, that it is going to be a common thing for us as fallen humans who are being redeemed by grace, but who still struggle with sin. He knows that it's going to be a thing for us to say, well, I've got this all figured out. I can help such and such bear that burden because I've got it figured out. And so Paul is warning us. He's saying, if you're going to bear burdens, you have to do it in humility. You can't do it in any other aspect, in any other uh, mindset. It has to be done knowing our own weakness. Because listen, if we are doing it in pride, you will not be able to bear another burden. You're not going to be able to sympathize with your brother or sister. We should be bearing burdens not from a sense of pride, but we should be doing it from a sense of weakness, knowing that I am weak and I am only able to get through with the help of Christ. By God's grace and only by His grace. That is the spirit that we're to do this in. And so this morning, if you're here and you feel like you are bearing a heavy load by yourself, I want you to be encouraged. You're in the right place because we're called to do this thing together. If you're here bearing a burden, let somebody else know. Let Bring somebody else in. Bring one of your brothers and sisters in because that's the only way that we're going to be able to stand. And God did not intend for us to do this thing alone. If you're here this morning, and I think this is a lot of us, a question that we've got to ask ourselves, are we involved? And here's what I mean by that is, we can't bear burdens if we don't show up. We can't be involved and, and be looking for burdens and, and ways that we can shoulder other people's burdens if we're not here. Now don't get me wrong, the community of faith goes far beyond the walls of the church. We should be involved in each other's lives outside of this place, but we don't need to minimize the importance of actually showing up. A lot of times we'll say to each other, I'm going to bear a burden of somebody. I'm going to uh, call this genuine Christianity, genuine Christian community, but I'm only going to show up like once a month. That's not Christian community. We have to be here. We have to prioritize meeting together if for no other reason than to be involved in each other's lives and help bear burdens. And as we do that, we need to constantly ask ourselves, how am I reacting to the weakness that I'm seeing? You may see somebody who's struggling. How do I react to it? Is it, is it something that I'm looking down on? Like, I'm glad I'm not that person. Or is it something that we say, no, I'm weak? As we do this, it should be constantly humbling to us. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you, you need to realize that you are weaker and more sinful than you ever could have thought. 
But this morning, I'm here to tell you that God is more gracious than you could have ever dreamed. That the ultimate burden bearer, Jesus Himself, is calling out to you saying, the burden that you carry, come and bring it to Me, and I'll shoulder it for you. I'll take it from you. The burden that you're bearing, you can come to Me. The sin that you're struggling with, you can bring it to Me, and I will shoulder it for you. I will take away the penalty that it deserves. And so if you're not a Christian this morning, my prayer for you and my hope for you is that you would press in and that you would leave your burden at the cross. You would come to Him and cling to Jesus to receive forgiveness. So how do we avoid deceiving ourselves and becoming puffed up? How do we keep ourselves from being overcome with pride? We do it by examining ourselves. Testing ourselves. And that's the last thing that he tells us. Test your own work. Test your own work. Notice what he says there in verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. The word work here is referring to our conduct, the way we live our life. And he's saying that we should be constantly testing the way that we live. We should be constantly testing it. And the reason, he says, is that our boasting may be in ourself, not in our neighbor. Now, Paul is not saying that we should work and boast about it, okay? Paul is not making the point that we should boast about our, uh, our conduct and our way of life. It should not foster pride. But he is asserting that every individual believer is responsible for his or her actions. As we bear burdens together, we've got to realize, church, the thing that's going to keep us from pride is realizing that we are responsible for how we act. Right? That's the constant thing that we think, well, if we're bearing burdens together, if we're all holding hands and going through this thing together, then in some sense, I am not responsible for me anymore. And Paul's saying that's not true. You can bear each other's burdens without giving up your own responsibility. And he reminds us that each one is responsible. Look at what he says. He says, each one in verse 5 will have to bear his own load. Now, Paul, did you not just say that we should bear each other's burdens? And now you're saying everybody's got to bear their own load? He uses a different word than burden. The word load is a word that just means something that is expected for you to carry. It refers to a cargo ship carrying its cargo that it's supposed to carry. When people are on a hike, each person has their own backpack. They have their own supplies that they're carrying on their back. And everybody has something that is theirs to carry. Now here's where it's different from bearing burdens. If one of the hikers falls and breaks his ankle, of course, all his friends are going to come and take off his backpack, redistribute it, and help carry it. And help carry him. When something comes on him that is just too much for him to handle, too much for him to stand, the church bear, uh, bears that burden with him. But what Paul is saying here is that there is no room for us as these hikers... To just say, well, you know, I, I'm, not feeling, I'm feeling kind of lazy today, and so I want to take off my pack here. Will you carry it for me? 
I don't really want to think about how I'm supposed to live out the Christian life, but can you do that for me? We should not grow complacent. We should not grow lazy because church, he tells us, we are going to bear our own load. And here's what he's implying. That we are all going to stand before God one day as individuals. We bear each other's burdens as we go through this life, but at the end, we will stand before God, before Christ, and give an account about how we live this Christian life. The way that we live out the gospel together, he tells us, is that we are to restore the fallen. We're to pursue them. Do you care about your brother or sister enough to go after them and to pursue them? He tells us that we're to bear each other's burdens, be present and be involved in church, and ready to shoulder burdens. And finally, he reminds us that at the end, we have to test our own work. We're responsible, ultimately, for how we live our lives. Christ's church is a family and it humbly bears each other's burdens. As we move to a time of of response, our response today is actually in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to go ahead and and ask that the children uh, in the back, y'all come on, uh, they're going to make their way up at this time as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper. But Christian, as we think about how do we respond to what we have just seen in God's Word, I just want to harp on the fact that we are responsible for our actions. That one day we're going to stand before Him and give an account. I want that to sink in if you're a believer here this morning. If you would say, I'm a Christian, let that sink in for a second. as that sinks in, are you living a life that would please Him? If you stood tonight face to face with your Creator, the One who has saved you, and you give an account of of what you've done with His grace, would you be able to say, Lord, I've made it my aim in life to please You? Or would you be saying, Lord, I've made it my aim in life to please myself? you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the the table, the supper is not for you. But we actually hold out something better. We hold out Christ Himself. We don't want you to take the elements this morning. We want you to take Christ. We want you to come and, and take Him. And so, we'd love for you to ask questions about that. What that means. And we'll be available after to answer those questions.